Jainism was established in around 500 BC in northern India. Jains don't believe their religion has one sole founder, but the first historical Jain figure with adequate evidence is mostly regarded as Parshava, a teacher who formed a community with people who wanted to abandon worldly concerns. He's known as the 23rd Tirthankara, the supreme features of the Dharma or path, which I'll explain more later. The origins of Jainism are quite hard to trace down as the Jains see their religion as eternal. The first Tirthankara was Rishabhunatha, however many historians consider him a mystical figure. The life of Mahavira, the 24th and last Tirthankara, has been written about the most in Jain scriptures. He was the son of a leader of the warrior class. When he was 30, he gave up his status to partake in ascetic life. He spent the next 12 and a half years following a path of solitarity and intensive self-discipline and avoidance of any form of indulgence. He succeeded at converting 11 disciples who helped develop the religion. Mahavira's development of Jainism was majorly in response to Hinduism being the dominant religion at the time. Some believed that it was out of touch with the people's spiritual and physical needs of the time. The community grew rapidly, and by the time Mahavira died, there were 14,000 monks and 36,000 nuns. Jains believe that all living things have an immortal soul caught in the cycle of rebirth and death, which is driven by karmic matter accumulated through one's actions. In Jainism, karma is a natural function of the soul's interaction with reality. Bad thoughts or actions are a stain on the material soul. Jains are strict vegetarians as they value all life. Happiness is a result of the moral quality of your previous life's action. To achieve moksha, you must get rid of the bad karma attached to your previous life, and to do this, you must live life according to the Jain vows, which I'll go over more later. The biggest thing to remember is to practice non-violence. Jain monks are known as sadhus, while nuns are called sadhvis. They're the silent holy ones. To become one, one must go through training where they learn about Jain philosophy, scriptures, and the code of conduct for monks and nuns. They must detach themselves from worldly ties, their families, businesses, social aspects, and money. They voluntarily accept the five Jain vows that are as follows. I will not commit any violence. I will not lie. I will not steal. I will not indulge in any sexual activities, and I will not have any possessions. They observe these vows physically, verbally, and mentally. It is not enough to simply not lie or not be violent. They cannot even think of doing this. If they adhere to this, they will escape the rebirth cycle and achieve moksha. Jainism has historically suffered from divides within its own borders. The most notably, and the one with the most lasting effect, was between two sects over monastic practice. The Shvetambara, or white robe sect, argued that monks and nuns should both wear white robes, while the Digambara, or sky clad, argued that monks should be naked. This sparked a debate on whether a soul of a female can attain moksha. The Digambaras deny that this is possible for women, and that women must wait until they are reincarnated as a man. And this started a sectarian division that still exists today. Mahavira's disciples helped write the original sacred scriptures of Jainism called the Agamas or Purvas. To achieve moksha, which is another word for liberation, which is the highest and noblest objective for a soul to achieve in order to escape the cycle of births and deaths, there are 14 steps. One, the soul lives in darkness, ignorant of its true nature, a slave to passions and illusion. Two, the soul catches a glimpse of truth, but is too stuck in illusion to retain it. Three, the soul recognizes its own bondage and tries to break free, but is still bound to attachments and falls back to step one. 
4. The soul, having recognized its bondage, wants to break free again, but is suppressing rather than eliminating its attachments and so remains bound. 5. The soul has a flash of enlightenment and understands and must take the five vows and adhere to them in order to free itself from bondage. 6. The soul is able to restrain its attachments and passions to a degree through the disciple of the five vows. 7. The soul overcomes spiritual lethargy and is strengthened through meditation and observance of the five vows. Self-awareness grows, as well as a grander vision of the nature of the soul itself and reality. 8. Hurtful karma is discarded, self-control perfected, and deeper understanding achieved. 9. More karmic debt is eliminated through conscious living and greater spiritual insight is attained. 10. Attachments are eliminated almost completely, but one is still attached to the concept of one's body as oneself. This is understood as greed for a body which one must overcome in order to progress. 11. One works on eliminating the identification of the self with the body and releasing all of their attachments. One recognizes the transient nature of those people and objects one is attached to and releases them. 12. All of the karma-producing passions have been eliminated at this point, including one's attachment to the body. 13. Recognizing fully the nature of reality and of the soul, one engages in deep meditation to withdraw from all activity which might result in karma-producing passions and backsliding to an earlier stage. And 14. The last step, as one approaches death, one is freed from all karmic debt and achieves moksha. For the Tirthankaras and some few others, step 14 is realized before death when they achieve nirvana or release and they become spiritual conquerors and forward builders who then begin to teach others to do as they did. The key to this is known as the three jewels, true faith, right knowledge, and pure conduct. True faith is the belief of the Jain vision being true, right knowledge is understanding the actual nature of the soul and reality, and pure conduct is doing these two things faithfully. So what are Tirthankaras? Well, they're 24 ordinary humans who have gone a special karma named Tirthankar Nam Karma in the last third of their life after they accomplished one or more of the 20 special austerities. Some of these austerities include fasting for periods of three or eight days or even one month continuously. There are five major life events that Tirthankaras experience. The first is Shivana Kalyanak when their soul departs from its last life and is conceived in the mother's womb. The second is Janma Kalinak, when their soul is born. The third is Diksha Kalinak, when their soul gives up their worldly possessions and becomes a monk or nun. The fourth is Kevojnana Kalinak, when their soul destroys the four Gothic karmas, which are knowledge obscuring, perception obscuring, obstructing, and diluting karma, and attains Kevojnana, or absolute knowledge. Here they preach the Jain path of purification and liberation. And fifth and last is Nirvana Kalinak, when their soul is liberated from this worldly physical existence forever and becomes a Siddha. On this day, their soul destroys the four Agathi karmas, feeling producing, body determining, status determining, and age determining karmas completely and attains salvation, the state of eternal bliss. The Digambara sect of Jainism spread west to Ujjana and a monk named Kalkacharya even wound up overthrowing the King Karbala of Ujjana in the first century. They became stronger in West India than they had ever been before. The early medieval time period was a time for the Digambara sect to thrive in modern day Karnataka. They won support from three monarchs of three major dynasties, the Gangas, the Rashrakutas, and the Hoysalas. The Gambara monks are even known to have secured the succession of these dynasties. Many political and aristocratic figures had Digambara monks as spiritual teachers and advisors. Royals and other high-ranking officials have given the Jain community with tax revenues and direct grants for the construction and upkeep of temples. Digambara writers also created many philosophical treaties, 
commentaries, and poems written in Prakrit, Kannada, and Sanskrit. The Shvetambaras, who resided in North India, were not as involved in politics and literature. The invasion of India by Muslim forces in the 12th century put a block on the religion's advancement. Jains faced persecution and destruction of important shrines. The Shvetambaras were forced to redefine themselves and now thrive as a mercantile group. Then, Shvetambara subsects formed called gachas based on religion and teachings. Today, the Karatara Gacha and Tapa Gacha are the most prominent. Digambaras stayed in the south of India, where they were attacked by Hindu devotional movements. The Hindus soon got support from royals, and the Digambaras only were able to survive in small areas of the north and southwest. By the 19th century, Shvetambaras, who valued images in their religion, had disappeared, and temples and rituals were controlled by quasi-monastic clerks called Yati. The Digambara monastic community was revived in the 20th century with a monk known as Acharya Shantisagar. He is a claimed ancestor of all Digambara monks. Jains have remained involved in general welfare work these days, including drought relief, support for the poor, and maintaining animal shelters. They have mainly migrated to the US, England, Singapore, and Japan. Although the population of Jains in India doubled from 1971 to 2001 to reach 4.2 million, their population has been declining. That's why it's important to continue to talk about this beautiful religion and educate ourselves on this history. Thank you for listening to episode 5 of the Divine Discourse. Join me again next Friday for episode 6, where I'll be talking about Confucianism. Don't forget to follow my Instagram at the Divine Discourse for updates on when I'm dropping a new episode. Also, make sure to message me about any religions or things concerning religion you want to me to make sure I cover. As always, the links in my research are in the description of the episode if you want to do any further research yourself. Until next time.